Hey everyone, welcome back to A Reason for Hope Candid. This episode will again feature our Director of Theology, Dr. David Hyduck. As the third and final episode of our Advent series, he will continue his reflection on our Lord's final Advent at the end of time. We're going to be picking up right where Dr. Hyduck left off, so if you haven't listened to parts one and two, definitely go back and check those out before listening to part three as each part builds on the other. Without further ado, Dr. David Hyduck. The nature of the final judgment is evident, as we have already indicated from a passage from the Apocalypse. Those to be saved are those who, one, keep the commandments of God. Remember it was Jesus who said, The one who keeps my commandments is the one who loves me. And, You are my friends if you keep my commandments. And, If you wish to enter eternal life, keep the commandments. And those who, too, keep the faith of Jesus. This means those that hold fast to Christ's teaching or doctrine. Yes, doctrinal orthodoxy is a requirement for eternal life. Jesus said that it is those who persevere to the end and do not deny him in word or deed that will be saved. He declares, Anyone who denies me, I will deny before my heavenly Father. And not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father. Does this mean that only faithful and orthodox Catholics will be saved? Only those who are baptized and receive the Holy Eucharist? Since Jesus said, unless a man be born again of water and the Holy Ghost, he shall not enter the kingdom of God. And, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you shall not have life in you. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath everlasting life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Well, not necessarily. First, the church teaches that, in addition to water baptism, there are the baptism of blood and of desire. Additionally, the Lord, who searches hearts, would know if someone were invincibly ignorant or if their freedom were compromised, and he may have mercy on them. The Church has accounted for such a possibility in her tradition and in the teachings of Vatican II. But it needs to be said that such a way of salvation is extraordinary, that is, beyond the ordinary way. And making predictions about the eternal salvation of these people is beyond our capabilities. Keeping God's commandments and the faith of Jesus, membership in the Church, and following her precepts are necessary for salvation. This much we do know, for it has been revealed to us by God. And this is why we should be zealous to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to observe all that the Lord commanded, including to receive His body and blood in the Eucharist. Outside the church, there is no salvation. And if there are those who appear to be outside of her that are saved, it is really because they are inside of her unawares. In addition to keeping God's commandments and the faith of Jesus, whether we are shown mercy at the final judgment will be determined by how we have shown mercy. Remember the parable of the unforgiving servant? Jesus seems to indicate that the Father will hand us over to the torturers if we do not forgive our brothers from our hearts. After giving the apostles the Our Father, Jesus adds, 
if you will forgive men their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you also your offenses. But if you will not forgive men, neither will your Father forgive you your offenses. And this mercy we must show isn't merely a matter of forgiving others. We must perform works of mercy in order to be saved. As Jesus indicates when he discusses his coming at the end of time, after he separates the sheep from the goats, placing the sheep at his right and the goats at his left, then shall the king say to them that shall be on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, possess you the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in, naked, and you covered me, sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Amen, I say to you, as long as you did it to one of these, my least brethren, you did it to me. Then he shall say to them also that shall be on his left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, which was prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me not to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me not to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me not in, naked, and you covered me not, sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Amen, I say to you, as long as you did not do to one of these least, neither did you do it to me. And these shall go into everlasting punishment, but the just into life everlasting. One of my favorite icons is Christ Pantocrator from the Monastery of Sinai. It dates back to the 6th century and is one of the most treasured and revered images of Christ in antiquity. It is characterized by its double gaze. One half of Christ's face, the right half, is gentle, warm, and merciful. His right hand is raised in blessing. Recall, the sheep, the just, the blessed are at his right. The other half of Christ's face, the left half, is stern, angry, and stares in cold judgment. His left hand holds a book, which is likely the book of life from the Apocalypse, in which the names of those at his left, the goats, or the unjust and cursed, are not written. This double gaze captures the true nature of Jesus Christ and of the final judgment. It is the way the church understood him in the centuries immediately after he walked the earth. We should pay heed to it. I am running out of time and space to say much more. But I need to say something about the resurrection of the body and the life of the world to come, as it says in the Nicene Constantinopolitan Creed. God created the human being as a composite substance, body and soul. We are both material, Adam's body was formed from the dust of the earth, and spiritual. The Lord God breathed into Adam the breath of life and he became a living being. We are totally body and totally soul. We are not more one than the other. Even though the soul is the form of the body, the superior aspect of us, that not only informs the kind of body we are, but is supposed to direct it aright, this does not mean that we are not our bodies. This is a common mistake these days. Either we see ourselves as just bodies, this is a materialistic view, or we see ourselves as identical with our soul or mind or consciousness, and our bodies are seen in a utilitarian and instrumental way, 
as something we have or possess or inhabit, but not as us or as our identity. God creating us with bodies means we are created for a material world. God creating us with souls means we are made for a spiritual world and for a relationship with Him. You will see why this is important in a moment. Death, which although natural to beings with bodies, was not to be our lot as a special gift of God. When Adam and Eve's life on earth was through, they would have simply been taken up into heaven. However, as a punishment for sin, they, and all their descendants, lost this immortality and would now suffer and die. Death is when the soul separates from the body, and the body decomposes and returns to the dust. But notice that this situation is an affront to our very nature as a body-soul unity. This is why, even after Jesus makes the atoning sacrifice for our sins and thus gives us hope of the eternal life of heaven, the souls of the just found worthy at the particular judgment that enter heaven are not yet in their fully redeemed state. This can only be at the resurrection of the body, when the perfect unity and harmony of our body and soul that was lost will be regained, but in an even greater way, because it will be a soul made holy and glorious by its communion with God in the beatific vision that will reunite with the substantially same body. Even though it has decomposed, it will be miraculously recomposed, and thus the body will take on the spiritual perfections and glory of the soul. Our bodies at the resurrection will resemble that of the Lord. We will have flesh and bone. We will eat. We will see and be seen. We will have physical senses. But we will not be bound by the laws of space and time as we experience now. Jesus bilocated, appeared and disappeared, and could never suffer or die again. The endowments that shall adorn the glorified resurrected bodies of the elect are described by the Roman Catechism which came after the Council of Trent, as well as the Catechism of Pope St. Pius X as follows. 1. Impassibility, by which they can never again be subject to evil, nor to any kind of pain, nor to need of food, of rest, or the like. 2. Brightness, by which they shall shine as the sun and as so many stars. 3. Agility, by which they shall be able to pass in a moment and without fatigue from one place to another and from earth to heaven. And four, subtlety, by which, without hindrance, they shall be able to penetrate any physical body as did Jesus Christ when risen from the dead. The bodies of the damned, however, shall be destitute of all the endowments of the glorified bodies of the blessed and shall bear upon them the appalling mark of eternal reprobation. I have already mentioned that they will resemble devils more than men. And because we will have resurrected bodies for all eternity, we will not only be somehow else, but somewhere else. We need to relinquish the hyper-spiritualized view of heaven we may have received. We will not be disembodied spirits floating in space. We will not become angels playing harps on clouds. God did not make us pure spirits, but matter and spirit, body-soul composites. God did not make us angels, but human beings. 
Thus, he not only wills for us to have our souls and our bodies for all eternity, for this was always his intention for us, but that we live in a perfect world. God will transform the earth and make a new heaven and a new earth, which will be everything he intended earth to be in its perfection and more. Yes, of course, seeing, loving, and possessing God is what the happiness of heaven consists of. But along with himself, God wants to give us all good things as any father does. And so, he will create the perfect world for us to live in with our bodies, a new Eden, a garden even better than the paradise lost. Jesus was the firstborn of the new creation, but we will join him. And creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God, as St. Paul says in his letter to the Romans. Of course, what this will be like is beyond what we can know or explain. That eye hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither hath it entered into the heart of man what things God hath prepared for them that love him. As it states in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, number 1042, At the end of time, the kingdom of God will come in its fullness. After the universal judgment, the righteous will reign forever with Christ, glorified in body and soul. The universe itself will be renewed. The church will receive her perfection only in the glory of heaven, when will come the time of the renewal of all things. At that time, Together with the human race, the universe itself, which is so closely related to man and which attains its destiny through him, will be perfectly reestablished in Christ. I will spare you the gruesome depictions of what hell will be like. Suffice it to say that the punishments of the damned will not be merely the torments of a conscience that eternally hounds them with regret, symbolized by the worm that does not die but also of the torments of the body, which will also share in their eternal suffering, proportionate to and in keeping with the very sins they committed in the flesh, symbolized by the fire that is not quenched. What does this all mean for us today? St. Benedict in his rule writes that we ought to keep death always before our eyes. The book of Sirach states, In all you do, Remember the end of your life, and then you will never sin. Throughout Christian tradition, it was an encouraged spiritual practice to reflect upon the four last things, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. Why? Because we should begin with the end in mind. The destination informs the journey and how we travel it. The goal determines how we structure our lives to attain it. Let us reflect upon the final advent of Jesus Christ. Let us consider what it will be like. Let's allow this knowledge to inspire us to live accordingly, beginning right now. Let's make the number one goal in our lives to make sure we get to heaven by keeping God's commandments and the faith of Jesus, by forgiving as we have been forgiven and performing works of mercy. This way, we will be ready to receive the coming of Jesus, yes, at Christmas.
but also at the end of time. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Hey, everybody. We got some exciting news. We have a whole new Array of Hope app and channel, a video destination where everyone can find meaningful and inspiring videos and resources to help bring them closer to God. This is available on your desktop, Roku, Apple TV, iPhones, and Android mobile phones and tablets. This channel has movies, short, faith-filled segments, live events, and programs. You've got to check it out. Sign up by going to watch.arrayofhope.net and then download the app at the App Store by just typing in Array of Hope. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us for another episode of A Reason for Hope Candid. Our next podcast episode features Mario Costabile's interview with Dr. Ben Carson, They'll be discussing Dr. Carson's amazing story. If you haven't already, be sure to follow our podcast so you're always in the loop for new releases. Also, make sure to follow Array of Hope on social media and check out AOH Music. You can find all this information in the show notes for this episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back with you for our interview with Ben Carson titled Miracles Do Happen. This episode will air on Monday, January 9th. So until then, we hope you have a blessed Christmas and a happy new year. Peace be with you.